Good morning. I am your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April 4th, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. It's election day in Wisconsin with a seat on the Supreme Court on the ballot there. Voting rights and women's reproductive health are affected by this outcome. $45 million expenditures tells us a lot about the stakes. Turn out, everybody you know, the Ask a Leader drill. You turn out your folks in Wisconsin, make sure they vote by today. Early voting, but now today's last day. Today, my guest for the full hours is Ayn Crayson. She's Orange County Policy Advocate with the Climate Action Campaign. Our program will bring you energy, a lot of it, in three parts. The city of Irvine's newly adopted electrification ordinance, the climate action plans, and Orange County Power Authority. We'll wrap with all of that, that final segment. We'll be right back after station break. Don't go away. That is the township from uh, Africano-Americano, Sounds of Africa. And that's powering us up to our energy show with Ann Crayson today. She is, as I said, Orange County Policy Advocate with Climate Action Campaign, a watchdog group we've covered many times on this show. Ian focuses on advancing equity and justice in the region, and we're zeroing in on all the work in progress in Irvine around Orange County today. Building electrification codes and ordinances and then energy choice energy and city's fastest path to 100% clean energy. Prior to her environmental advocacy pursuits and joining Climate Action Campaign, Ian worked corporate communications and public relations. She's posted successes to help codify the city of Irvine's historic organic landscaping policy and helped build a coalition of support to create the Irvine-led OCPA, which launched December 2020. She's as well helped draft and build support for the city of Irvine's Achieves Climate Resolution, which made Irvine the first city in Southern California and the third in the state to commit to a 2030 zero carbon goal in line with most recent climate science. She was on hold to appear uh, ahead of last week's Irvine City Council meeting, and that was quite a show we did, and we had lots of show, and we had some guests. Uh, But that was in advance of that special meeting to consider the electrification ordinance. Today she appears instead after that session, which is, as I said, one part of our three energy part program. Ian, she comes to us today from Irvine. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Ian Crayson. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. Well, thank you. Well, with mainstream media, and they're hyperventilating on the former president's every move. Ian, how does it feel for grassroots activists to have that oxygen sucked away from your vigorous efforts to champion energy rate payers? 
Well, it's it's the reality. It's it's a bit about democracy, right? And we need a functioning government in order to um, bring the changes that are so important to our economy and to get us off of fossil fuels as soon as possible. So it's just part of the scenery. People are often distracted from climate change. It's, it's everyone's default mode, but it's what we're focused on all the time because we know that we are in a system that has been created by and for fossil fuel companies and the politicians that enable them. And so we are working at all times to build power to fight back against that system and to enact the policies that meaningfully address the pollution that comes from that system. And that's probably where some of the $45 million in campaign expenditures in Wisconsin may be from the fossil fuel crowd. So that's just... uh just seeing where all these little data points all come down on election days. So now let's go on to policy and deeper breathing, which you've never stopped doing. And so if you could explain what the electrification ordinance, it actually covers uh, new and retrofitted businesses and residents. But let's, uh, there's a lot of exceptions that you uh, had mobilized people to address before, and I'm sure you're not going to take your eyes off of how those exceptions are going to be both, um, well, how it will be implemented. So talk about what it covers, what it's going to do. And it's the first in Orange County, and we'll after that, I'm going to have you compare with already codified ordinances of a similar kind in Southern California, but first ours here in Irvine. Yeah. Okay. I will do my best. So just to, to take a step back, and for folks who don't know, um, last, was it last week now or the week before? Yeah, it was last it week. It was just um, last week. Yeah, a week ago today, on March 28th, after months of advocacy from my organization, Climate Action Campaign, from the Orange County Climate Coalition, um, and many other partners and activists, the Irvine City Council unanimously voted to pass a groundbreaking ordinance which requires the electrification of new buildings. And I know you'd said retrofits. This policy does not address retrofits. That is next. Addressing new buildings is very important to stop the bleeding, sort of, to stop the expansion of the fossil gas network. So um, with this vote, Irvine is now the first city in Orange County to ban dangerous fossil gas pipes and appliances in new buildings, which is hugely exciting because Irvine is the fastest-growing city in California, has been and and is expected to continue to add more housing than any other city in the state. So um, so a very important win here in Irvine. And then also we're excited that Irvine's ban is one of the strongest building electrification ordinances in Southern California, notwithstanding the exemptions, the exceptions, exemptions that um, that were proposed. There were initially 10 proposed and we did manage to get seven of those removed. So folks in Irvine can be pretty excited and proud, and we applaud the Irvine Council for setting the bar for Orange County, being the first of the 34 cities in Orange County to take this important step. We hope that this is just the beginning and the other Orange County cities will follow. We do intend to continue fighting for, you know, to improve this current policy, and but then also it's very important to win similar policies in other cities. Because this decision is going to bring major health, major economic benefit to our region, and especially to Irvine, by eliminating a major source of disease-causing air pollution and creating this new new jobs that will boost our economy. And these are, you know, sort of family-supporting jobs, the jobs that are in alignment with our clean energy future that can really go a long way to bringing us into, you know, the future that we all want to be a part of. 
Well, um, it, so I can talk about. Yeah, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So in terms of uh, where Irvine falls compared to other cities, there have now been more than a hundred jurisdictions, cities, and counties across the U.S. that have adopted these policies, and. Irvine is the 75th in the state of California, so there are 74 before Irvine went ahead and did this. And that's in large part because of the, the health benefits, this growing body of evidence that demonstrates the harms of gas on public health and the planet, and that's what's prompted all of these cities and counties across the country to adopt policies like this one. I can't hold that thought, the, the second, the following thought. So what... There is a culture war going on. It's it's nabbed this particular item aspect of gas in the kitchens, and that I'm wondering if to sort of sort all that out. It's I mean, you and I raised kiddos. Mine are a little bit a lot older, and I you know we all wonder in the back of our heads: was it the air quality outside or was it the air quality inside? So, is there? Can you bring to listeners? your understanding of, let's say, the pie chart of maybe the inputs for where, why our kids are sucking on those, those inhalators here to, so they can breathe, open their pet yes. ways. Huge implications, especially for child health and respiratory health, as well as other diseases. But yeah, researchers in January of this year um, published a, a peer-reviewed study in a highly respected journal that gas stoves cause as much childhood asthma as secondhand smoke. So having a gas stove in your house is similar to having an indoor smoker um, in terms of child respiratory health and asthma. And last year, another study that got a lot of attention was one from Stanford University, which found that gas stoves leak disease-causing pollution into our most used living spaces. Think kitchens, you know, your kitchen, which is attached to your dining room, which for most people is attached to their living room. And that three-quarters of those emissions happen while the stove is off. So even if your stove is off, like people try and make themselves feel better by talking about how they run the they run the hood and they turn on that fan. A lot of times that hood, especially for low-income people or people who are in rentals or older housing, um, doesn't go anywhere. It just moves the same polluted, around, polluted air around in the same space. It doesn't take it outside. And so this is why we're having tremendous health impacts. And there was a, at the Irvine meeting on Tuesday, there was a retired OBGYN and mom who right. came to give comment and was talking in particular about the health effects, not only for children, but also the unborn and for pregnant women in terms of um, preterm birth and other health effects. Um, there's also a myriad of, of really scary chemicals inside that gas that comes out of your stove, including formaldehyde and benzene, which are well-known carcinogens. So yeah, so there's so many benefits and we don't look at, and this is always the case with fossil fuels and many other industries, that we don't look at the actual costs that are borne by people, you know, in exchange for, you know, to allow these industries to sort of be propped up. So these industries externalize their costs. They place the cost of their doing business on our health. And then folks have to go to the hospital. They have to, you know, and so their costs don't include like your chemotherapy treatment or your, you know, your asthma treatments or you know, the respirator, all of these expenses are not included in the dollar signs that are talked about a lot of times in council meetings or certainly at, at the board meetings of these fossil fuel companies. But they're very real. 
and so they deserve to be taken into account. And so it's very exciting that Irvine has taken this move to phase out this dirty, dangerous methane gas. And by doing that, we believe they're prioritizing people over gas industry profits, which is a first in Orange County. And um, we also say that getting rid of pollution for frontline workers is a critical health public health issue. And unfortunately, there was an exemption in the policy for restaurants, although it was modified on the dais there at the council meeting, uh, sort of a compromise was reached so that only restaurants that say that they require an open flame for their cooking style could be provided that exemption. But we believe that, you know, worker health and safety is, is critically important and that they deserve equal protection from the harms of burning fossil fuels in their workplace. And in addition to exposure to the gases that are burned in their workplaces, it's also just the extreme heat that some of these commercial kitchens can reach temperatures above 110 degrees because gas stoves are hugely inefficient, create a tremendous amount of waste heat. As anyone who's ever toiled in a hot Thanksgiving kitchen or other, you know, like kitchen all day preparing food can attest, it gets real hot. And so um, it's not safe, and there's a lot of research that shows the harms to restaurant workers. So there is room for improvement there, but overall we'd say this vote marks a shift toward a more serious commitment to climate action by the city of Irvine that will hopefully set the bar for other, um, for other cities and is a really historic moment for Orange County because now for the first time an Orange County city has stopped the unabated expansion of the fossil gas network, which has been growing in Southern California for more than 150 years, if you think about it. Um, and look back at the history of gas in our region. So this is a very important, important win. And it also brings tremendous economic benefits, which I can talk about too. Well, let's talk about the layers and cues given at Irvine City Council meeting hearing this ordinance last Tuesday evening. And there is, there's a tension, a cultural tension and this electrification, and there is a kind of a fiscal uh, tension between costs this would create as well as the actual, the health benefits. So the cultural part, our vice mayor, Tammy Kim, was defending a cultural culinary aspect. But I, I want to also say, can there be a little more self-reflection if a cultural piece has health consequences that is cultural and biological. I mean, is how did you take? I mean, she made a great deal of of many entry reentries of this topic of defending Korean that's burned. She said it's called burned burned beef is what bulgogi means. So she spent more time on that than any other part of a very complicated ordinance. So what did that cultural tension, that cultural aspect mean to you as a person who's thinking public health is the biggest thing going on? Well, cooking and food are very personal, right? And people have generations of tradition that are baked into these um, perspectives. And so we have to keep that in mind, and that's real, you know, for people. But the truth is that methane gas is not required for Korean cooking or any cooking style, any of these cultural traditions, because it, these, all these cooking styles predate 
methane gas. And and actually what was more of the original source for fire for these styles of cooking were like coal or, um, you know, charcoal, rather, or and flames. Um, fortunately, a lot of improvements have been made and kind of cooking facilities to um, to support these cooking needs. And a lot of them are Asian styles. Martin Yan, who is um, a famous, you know, internationally renowned chef, is a huge advocate of induction cooking. Um, and his he cooks with a wok um, in large part and is known as for Chinese cooking. But in terms of Korean cooking, um, there are, you know, there are innovations coming along all the time. At this point, I am not aware of uh, an electric alternative to the larger hobs that you see in Korean barbecue restaurants in the tables, which is why I think this exemption made its way in there. But remember, this is for, this is a new construction ordinance. So those facilities will continue to exist um, for now. And as this becomes more of, you know, as, as electrification becomes more popular, we have fantastic electric walks now, as I may have said, and appliances to support a lot of different cooking styles. There are small tabletop Korean barbecue um, grills, which you can find on Amazon pretty easily. But I'm sure those larger ones will be coming along soon. And when they do, and when they're available, then the new Korean restaurant owner who's looking to come into Irvine um, can hopefully look at that option and then also consider the health impacts for their workers and their customers who would be gathered around that device and then make that better choice. But overall, in terms of this Irvine policy and the benefits of it, you know, Irvine is slated to add as many as 60,000 homes in the next eight years and more than 2,100 in the next year alone. And so with this policy, most of those or really all of those homes after next year will have all electric appliances. Um, And for the next year, there's also another exemption for for water heaters um, for certain multifamily buildings. But other than that, all of the all of the stoves in those homes are going to be electric. All of the um, all of the dryers are going to be electric. All of the furnaces, instead of furnaces, you're going to have uh, heat pumps, which provide both heating and cooling. They're truly magical, um, an amazing appliance. All of these appliances use a lot less energy than than the gas alternatives and are fossil fuel free, which is amazing. And then another important win in this policy was the removal of an exemption for pool and spa water heaters. And then also for um, gas barbecues, gas fireplaces, which was originally proposed. So those were all removed thanks to council member Treceder who proposed that on the dais and then the other council members who supported her in that. But so this is amazingly exciting because as much fossil fuel, as much gas as is used at the endpoint that comes out of an appliance, just as much leaks out through all the, the network behind it from the point of extraction all the way, you know, as it snakes underground through the desert and up to, you know, the point where someone turns it on, just as much gas is used there. So it's really important to stop expanding that network. So this is how we gradually shut down the fossil fuel economy is with policies like this that set the example for other Orange County cities. So, um, yeah, because when we have, you know, we think about climate change, people think about climate change, a lot of times it feels very far away. It feels like something, you know, that happens internationally or happens at the poles maybe. It's the first thing you think of when you think of climate change is like some sad polar bear or something. 
Um, but the emissions that are causing climate change happen in cities, and they happen, actually, according to the United Nations, 75% of emissions come from cities. And that is where we have the ability to make change and where an individual who cares enough can make change. And so that's incredibly exciting that, that we were able to achieve that here. And, um, yeah, this is, should encourage anyone who's listening to, um, to take action and to become engaged in the process to reach out to me at Climate Action Campaign um, or, you know, other organi- get involved in other organizations that are working on meaningful climate policy because fossil fuels are what got us here. And, and unfortunately, we're still going in the wrong direction in terms of fossil fuel emissions expanding. And whenever anyone sees, whenever you see a building being built in Orange County, people don't think about this, but it has, for the most part, unless it's going to be a new building in Irvine after June, it has fossil gas infrastructure in it. So this is the decade when we need to stop. This is the deciding decade, is what the IPCC report said last week when that came out. And so we have a very narrow window of time to make these changes. So you mentioned, you know, it's a, a political hot button for some people or has been weaponized, um, you know, gas guns and um, I forget what the other, you know, Jesus. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a political hot potato. Yeah. But um, that's the third thing. Everything that we love is, is at stake here. Um, everything that anyone has ever cared about is very much on the table with climate change. So we don't have time to waste um, with those kinds of attitudes, we need strong leaders who are willing to do what is necessary, notwithstanding that propaganda, basically. So, so there, there's and, one factor, excuse me, I just um, that you didn't mention with electrification. It's also faster. I just I bought a recently a two plate unit stovetop unit. And it's so much faster besides being cleaner. So that that's just got to be a big deal. And I want to know if this city, does this create a sort of a flattening of the the effort for other cities to jump on this wagon? Yes, it's something that when we meet with electeds from cities, they want to know what other cities are doing. They want to see, you know, send me the copy of that ordinance of what that city did for that thing. They like to, you know, it feels safe to, if you want to know, you know, if it's like a cold day and you're wondering if it's raining outside, what do you do? You look outside, see if anyone else is carrying an umbrella to figure out if you need. These are, you know, this is social proof. We want to see. Um, what other people are doing. Cities want to see what other cities are doing. So yes, this is absolutely part of our theory of change is to scale and replicate change that we've been able to achieve in other cities. So this is a very important win in Orange County that we hope to and we're already working to scale to other cities in the county. So hopefully, you know, we believe that Orange County can lead on climate. There's, you know, strong political support, definitely in Irvine and many other cities too, for that kind of change. People want meaningful climate action. People are scared and sad about what they see happening and, you know, the realities of what we're all experiencing every day and seeing on the news and houses falling down cliffs and, you know, wildfires that we, we experience annually now. Um, these historic rains, which are an absolute anomaly, but 
also part of, you know, disruption of, of weather systems. Yes, the weather's highly unstable. That's, it's not, it's a warming climate. It's an unstable climate. And tornadoes and the, all these other places are touching down with the greater intensity in a greater swath and beyond where it had previously occurred. So it's this huge. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Ian Creason, an Orange County policy advocate with the Climate Action Campaign here. And as we were talking about now, what the Irvine City Council has adopted, the first electrification ordinance, first in Orange County. And I want to get an idea. It's hard to quantify, but so we can be really clear, what portion of the the fossil fuel emission pie is this ordinance going to take up? What percentage of a drop-off of greenhouse gas emissions are we going to see with electrification just in mm-hmm. Irvine? Yeah. So um, the city of Irvine, in its CAP, Climate Action Plan uh, process, and ev- did something that every city does as they worked on a climate action plan, which is to create an inventory of greenhouse gases and greenhouse gas sources in the city. So what Irvine's inventory found, um, which they published late last year, was that about 51% of emissions in the city come from transportation, cars, trucks, and then about 33% come from buildings, and with a a huge percentage of that coming from methane gas appliances. And then another portion coming from electricity generation, which is, you know, OC Power Authority and SoCal Edison, which we'll talk about also. And then the remainder is from waste, pretty much. So it might seem like, oh, that's as small as a portion, it's like maybe half of 33%, maybe something like 20, around 20%. But the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is this body of scientists that provides direction to the world on, and, you know, publishes an assessment now um, with disturbing frequency on the state of the climate crisis. And what they have said repeatedly is that it's very important to focus on methane and that we need to stop methane as soon as possible because methane is a very potent greenhouse gas. And so just to recap for everyone, what, what is methane? Methane is when you turn on a gas stove, it's about 95% of what's in that little blue flame, the balance being formaldehyde, benzene, odorants, and other things. But most of that is methane. So that's what we're talking about. And so because buildings last a very long time, 50 to 100 years, right, Mm -hmm. we really cannot afford to be creating any new buildings or installing any new infrastructure, appliances, or otherwise pipes that is going to lock us in to these emissions. And so... Actually, what the IPCC report said is that we need to reduce methane by about a third by 2030. Now, by reducing it, that means we cannot afford to add any. Right, right. And we, you know, we have to, we have to cut back. This means we're going to have to, you know, existing appliances. There's the act which the which act? Oh, it's the Inflation Reduction Act. Oh, right, that one was. Yes, a federal bill that provides a lot of funding for folks to um, change out to replace their gas appliances in their homes. Incredibly important. And you may know that Stacey Abrams, who is, you know, a luminary of um, the left, joined an organization that that advocates for that just last week, a group called Rewiring America. It sort of signals, like, there's broad support for this. Our governor, um, Katie Porter, did a high-profile appearance at um, 
at a UCI professor's house last year. Yeah, we talked um, about that see. at her camp on a campaign appearance she made here, right? Yes, yes. So there's a lot of excitement about electrification and broad support for it. So what we need to do is to stop the bleeding. We need to stop expanding this harmful network, uh, which is what this policy is about. And then we need to step. We need to undo the harms that have been done. We need folks to, we are in a place where we don't have time for any additional infrastructure. So that means if you have a gas water heater, your next water heater must be electric. If you have a gas stove, your next stove must be electric. There is no margin for error. Um, All of these, we have to make correct decisions from here on out. And so unfortunately that requires mandates. Well, it's not, and it's just, and the marketplace, it's kind of making me nervous here is when you go to the retail arena and there is a huge stock of the gas appliances. And then when I I hear underwriting on public radio and it's the gas appliance underwriter for a program. So it's that gas is still like the biggest show going on. It's not, it's the opposite of what it should be. So it's the marketplace is not helping at all. And so the the Inflation Reduction Act isn't getting enough up to speed to sort of to shuffle that whole marketplace. That's really concerning because those those units are being purchased instead of being replaced by the electric alternative. Yes, because the gas industry knows this, and they are fighting for their lives. They are fighting for survival, and um, it's not going to be pretty as they go out. You know, they are going to fight for every inch, and they have an army of lobbyists on the ground here in Orange County. And I mean, not even to mention the local level. We don't. Have, you do not have to go to or to Washington to fight the fossil fuel industry. We do it every day here in Irvine. So folks who want to get involved can keep that in mind. But, yeah, the IRA funding it has not all been unleashed yet. The, the feds want the states to administer it. So those processes are still getting set up. But it, when it does finally, you know, see the light of day, it will really change things. And so that is what is necessary. And so we'll, we're also going to need policies to retrofit buildings to require when someone needs to replace a water heater, that it has to be electric and so on, just because that is where we are in the climate crisis, and that's the reality. Um, but, yeah, the gas industry continues to fight, and there's that project that they've proposed at UCI, which is part of part of that scheme to keep doing business as usual. And UCI is not under the purview of the ordinance. That was also brought up at the city council meeting. Right. That's true. Um, and that needs to be mentioned here at KU. That has to be mentioned at KUCI, that we're, we're under, a, I don't know what you would say. The ordinance doesn't affect UC Irvine's units. That's the University Hills. It's the campus. So it's under whose purview does, does what's our code? Oh, that's a great question. I think that would fall under the UC Regents. Um, there are people who are fighting for fossil fuel-free UC systems. Um, I think you can just Google, you know, fossil fuel free UC. Folks should get involved with that. We have been organizing against a UC Irvine SoCal Gas, a, a SoCal Gas proposal to do a pilot project at UC Irvine that w- uh, would put um, a dangerous, explosive blend of hydrogen and methane gas in student housing um, and dining facilities. Uh, that would significantly endanger at least the 2,500 freshman students who live in the dorms called Mesa Court on campus. 
And so this is absolutely the gas industry doing its thing, trying to perpetuate its stronghold here. That they say that the purpose of the pilot is to is to demonstrate a hydrogen blending standard that they can use elsewhere in the state. And it's really shocking. It would be hugely expensive. It's hugely problematic from a health and safety perspective. Hydrogen is like hugely explosive, has been shown to have huge safety harms. Um, I can go into that too, if you'd like. We but, won't have time. And I just want yeah, to insert okay. to be intellectually totally honest that I want to see some chemistry faculty in your brain trust. I don't think they were represented in that missive that went out. And so that it, it has the uh, like dead on kind of, uh, you know, the intellectual firepower that we've got here locally. Make sure you include them in the brain trust so that your messages go out with a real clear, you know, idea of the actual the, the chemistry. That's just a, a something I want to insert in there. We need to transition quickly to discussing the climate action plans that are growing, adding on new plans in municipalities. Maybe is the electrification ordinance a way of getting a climate action plan sort of a newly created? Or so is there a sort of a, a thumbnail of progress made around Orange County cities with climate action plans? Yes. So we, Climate Action Campaign, published our first Climate Action Plan report card for Orange County cities in January. And this was an assessment of the state of climate planning in the county. And this is something we've done for several years now in San Diego. We've published five of these report cards in San Diego. And we know that it works providing this it's a way of providing transparency and accountability for local governments on their climate planning. It makes it easier for activists and folks who care to see what's happening in their cities. So um, in the course of doing this in San Diego, San Diego County, over the last, uh, what, eight years now, we've done five editions. Every city in San Diego County except one now has a climate action plan. So um, this was our first edition in Orange County. And what we found is that six of Orange County's 35 jurisdictions, 34 cities in the county, six of the 35 have a climate action plan. None of them is adequate. All of them are failing. All of them have either not been implemented, contain inadequate measures, et cetera, that make them inadequate. Um, Irvine does not even have a climate action plan yet. We have been corresponding with Irvine about a climate action plan since 2016, and they still do not have it. We have seen helpful progress more recently and hopeful signs that things are moving in the right direction. Councilmember Treceder introduced an item in January to that got the council to agree to a very firm and accelerated timeline for the Irvine Climate Action Plan, which includes um, CAP outreach, which they are doing now, which means going to um, various organizations and folks are impacted by climate change, which is everyone, but with a focus on pollution burden communities and engaging them in the CAP process, sharing with them what's going on, getting their feedback, publishing all existing CAP documents, uh, which has been done now. And then they are to return to the council uh, with a legally binding CEQA qualified CAP with targets and measures to meet state climate goals by June 13th was the timeline uh, that was adopted. So, And then after that, they'll have to go through legal review and uh, have an environmental impact report created. But it's good to see um, for Irvine folks that the city is finally moving forward with its climate action plan. But with regard to building electrification policy, 
obviously we need to stop the expansion of the fossil gas network, regardless of whenever Irvine gets this plan done. But so was Irvine the happen. first in yeah. the climate action plan work with the green ribbon, all that? And but it's not in the six of the thirty-five jurisdictions. Is is that what I do? I understand that. Irvine does not have a climate action Right, but it was one of the first to begin with the Green Ribbon Committee discussions about this. Is that mean, is that the sort of the timeline? First to start, but not yet formulated. Um, well, what does the, I, I'm actually on the Green Ribbon Environmental Committee now. Having a committee does not mean that you're getting anything done necessarily. I'll just say that. Okay, I, we um, heard that here. Not first, but soon. Right. Okay. So I I want to keep moving this really fast, this pace here, so that we can get to the other, the final part of the energy story here. But I, so it's, uh, I don't, I mean, when you first started this climate action work, the activation, activism, I mean, we're in a, it's like a whole new it's a new world. We have uh, energy prices globally, fossil fuel sorts of uh, the market has changed with the invasion in Ukraine. And there's uh, there's new uh, federal legislation. There's a lot of pieces that are where we are right now. So d- can you um, you wouldn't have imagined what all these sort of wrinkles are in the um, and opportunities when you first started this several, several years ago. Right. Yeah. The It's it's exciting that we have moved in some ways the way that we have, that we've had this historic federal legislation, which is definitely first in a generation and will not come again anytime soon, quite possibly. Um, a lot of it is it's been thanks to young people who have they you don't need to explain to young people the urgency of the climate crisis is something that they go to bed with every night it keeps them up at night and so as those people come of age and they are voting um, which is what we saw in the last election and making their wishes known and not accepting the status quo then that's where we see change and then other you know older folks who also are sympathetic and are willing to do what's necessary. This is going to require changes, but it's also going to allow us to live better. You know, we, That's exactly we are going it. to have healthier air and, and better outcomes. It's not a culture war thing. It's a public health thing that affects everybody. I don't know how that could be driven more clearly for here, but it's, uh, I, this is, it's concerning. So I'm, yeah. I would like to, in the limited time remaining, is cover the Orange County Power Authority's sort of where we are at this moment, the leadership structures change. We have now on the board, uh, Fred Jung is still on. He's the chair. Kathleen Traceder and Tammy Kim now represent Irvine. Don Wagner is representing the unincorporated areas. And Casey McKeon, Huntington Beach, and Jose Trinidad Castaneda, Buena Park. So we've got a lot of uh, dissension of different kinds that are trying to undo the Orange County Power Authority. So there's the return on our investment. There's the transparency. There's meeting the greenhouse gas reduction goals. Just go through those as fast as you're able to do that for <laughs> oh to, to keep everybody's uh, keep everybody's concern up and running here. Right. So I'll say first that community choice energy is our only path to clean energy that meets the climate crisis. Um, SCE, SoCal Edison, will not give us what we need. They plan to reach, I believe, 80% clean energy by 2045, which is just not going to get it done. So this is why we need community choice energy and why Climate Action Campaign and many others fought for many years. We 
for five years, we organized and advocated to create the first CCE program in Orange County. Um, we've seen them succeed and thrive in San Diego, where we've established, um, helped establish two community choice energy programs. And so we have been very disappointed and were the first ones to sound the alarm as um, we started to see some concerning decisions being made by the OCPA board in 2021, yes, yes. When, when those decisions started to come to light, sort of in the summertime. And so, yeah, so we continue to organize and advocate on that front with the knowledge we need OCPA. And if OCPA fails, we will very likely never get another CCE in Orange County because what city would do it, you know, having had this experience now? It would be a very, very difficult job to convince any city to do that. And then it's also not clear whether the CPUC would allow it. Um, you know, these the California Public to, Utility Commission. Yes. 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 These approve the creation of these agencies. So, so that's why uh, there's no, you know, OCPA must succeed. And um, so, in terms of reforming OCPA, you know, we've seen this whole parade of audits. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, we saw the actual withdrawal of the county in December, which we opposed. We asked the county not to exit for all those reasons I just stated. Um, and now, you know, Huntington Beach is, is having discussions in that direction. The city of Fullerton has on its agenda tonight, yes. a discussion of potentially hiring a consultant to advise the city on an exit. So it is, it's very disappointing. We sent the, the board of directors a coalition letter in February asking them to replace the failed leadership now and to, you know, meet the critical need to restore trust in this extremely important public agency by eliminating the current leadership, um, which is Beth and Krieger, the law firm, um, and Ryan Barron, their employee. Um, but unfortunately, as of right now, we still have a BBK attorney in the general counsel role at OCPA. And we also have um, Brian, uh, Brian Probalski uh, as CEO, and uh, who has been you know, at the center of many of these issues now, they did remove Ryan Barron, and so he's been replaced with another BBK attorney. And we have seen other reforms that are encouraging in terms of the bylaws and the JPA, is the Joint Powers Authority Agreement, it's like the constitution sort of of the organization. Some important reforms that have been made there, but there are other reforms that still need to be made. So, yeah, there's definitely still work to be done there. It's great to have Kathleen Traceder advocating for those changes. Um, Tammy Kim has said that she will support additional reforms. But we, we really do need strong leadership from this board. If, if we're ever going to get another city to join, it's important for community choice energy programs to be able to grow, to add cities in order to achieve economies of scale. But that's not to, happening. It's, it's, a, it's the opposite is happening. Existing yeah. cities on the board are threatening to, to leave. And, and it, it's not an idle threat. It's a pretty good threat. So it's going to pare down the actual community choice energy group. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's very troubling. And um, Buena Park, the, at their council meeting in late March, the mayor 
expressed his desire to have a study session in April regarding also a potential exit. So they're literally every city is talking about leaving. And so this does not, does not create the stability that we need to see in an organization like this. And so the board needs to take a very hard look at what they're doing and what their decisions have been. And, you know, a significant change is needed in order for the public to to trust in this organization. So, so speaking of trust, I'm going to call it out here because we've talked about the the C-suite that is underqualified to carry this load. But I'm concerned that board some of the board members, the vigor I'd want to see in a community choice energy unit that OCPA is carrying out here, that some of them are just padding their resumes for the next elected office. So they really, their heart is not in building the OCPA and building it well. Well, all the board members have a fiduciary duty to the city that they represent, right, to do what's in the best interest of their residents and ratepayers. So that is what has, you know, that's the case for any agency that any elected official serves on. Um, it's not necessarily about whether their heart is in it. That's, you know, not, not, but we can't measure that, right? We just need them to make changes that, um, that facilitate the success of the organization. So. But we can't see it because of this transparency issue that that continues. That we there are various instruments that are just still have not seen the light of day, and you know, and we're we don't. I mean, how much? How many million dollars of lines of credit are there out now? Because is that actually fully known? Well, I know that there was the there was a thirty five million dollar credit facility that they agreed to in twenty twenty one. I'm not aware of additional credit facilities that they've taken on and have contracted for significantly more. But I think that those contracts are based on future revenue. Like that's, those make commitments with revenue that will come in in the future. Um, they are making money because, because they have a, a customer base. And so that is important. And we need, I have to say also in terms of the benefit that these programs bring, if they bring, tens of millions of dollars to the community for the kinds of things we were talking about, the, the electrification retrofits that our communities are going to need, especially for low-income folks. There will be, there is no other path for cities to get this kind of revenue that currently flows into SoCal Edison. Um, and so it's very important for Orange County to have access to something like that. And so the failure of OCPA would would mean that the, that door would be closed and those benefits would not be available to residents. And so so that is very scary and everyone should be concerned. But fortunately, it, it, because it's Community Choice Energy Program, folks can participate. You know, you can call into board meetings. You can reach out to your representatives on the board, which is Tammy Kim and Kathleen Tristater, and make your wishes known. Uh, that's for folks who live in Irvine, of course. You could also engage in potentially the other cities. There's nothing stopping folks who want to um, reach out to the representatives or the councils of these other cities. Like I said, Fullerton is having its meeting tonight. Um, Buena Park should be having a meeting. I believe that might be on the agenda April 11th, a discussion of OCPA. And the Huntington sure. Beach City Council, that writing's on the wall. It's got to be very clear what's going to happen. 
Yeah, it might be. And it's because these organizations rise or fall based on public trust. And you'll see, you see it in the conversations now, and you see it in the last Fullerton meeting where that council talked about, you know, that OCPA was there and talking about their improvements that have been made, but then they had to answer, you know, the council members were asking the question, what about the last two years? Why have we not gotten, why is this our first update that we've received from OCPA? Um, and this agency has been underway for more than two years now. Where's the accountability on that? Why was that allowed? Um, so that is all up to the board. All these decisions are made by the board. So that is the locus of change where people should direct their energy if they want to see a change. But I'm, I, I think you're, you're not, you're not letting me be the bull in this china closet. That Huntington Beach ideologically wants out. Mm. That's that's possible. However, it's also interesting to note that Huntington Beach Mayor Tony Strickland voted for the law that created CCE in 2002 when he was in the state legislature. So, um, I mean, implementation is important, and obviously there have been many implementation failures for OCPA, but it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, a done deal in Huntington Beach. Okay, it's, we have that. We've got that from you. You're sure? I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm sure that Tony Strickland was in the legislature in 2022 and voted for the creation of the law. I'm not, sorry, not 2022, in 2002, and created this law, but... Um, yeah, but lots happened since then in, you know, correct. political culture yeah. and all that. So that's, I mean, I do have my eye on there. And it's, and it's concerning if one city does pull out, that's a, that's a big piece of yarn that you're pulling off the sweater. Yes, it's very destabilizing for any, for any city, city to exit. So, yeah, it's a huge problem that everyone should be concerned. And that's why the board has to make good decisions from here on out to make up for the failures of the previous board, which the previous board gets a lot of credit for allowing this problem to get to where it is. Well, there are many more details to bring into all of this. Um, I the You were talking about how folks can participate in those meetings. They can sit in the OCPA meetings, but I don't know if there's a way you can gauge if it's falling off. And I don't blame anybody for not dropping everything and sitting in front of a, an Orange County Power Authority meeting, a board meeting, but um, it's. Uh, do you have an indication if that attention is holding? Because it's it's a lot to ask people to keep track of all of this. Absolutely, yes, it is. It's too much, and it's too much to ask that people like reading the staff reports. I mean, <laughs> it's a lot of work. So I I completely am with you. Um, and it's, most people will not have the time to do it. People are busy in their lives, and people already, you know, can't be bothered to think about their energy bills, much less, I mean, many people, you know, it's just like the bottom thing on the list. So, yeah, so we need leaders who are going to to do what needs to be done to provide adequate oversight of this agency. Well, there is much more. I always say that, listeners, but it's true. There's always more. I'm, I'm racing my, I, I tell my uh, guests, please answer quickly, and then I give them another huge mouthful. And it's a, that's structurally not okay for me to do that. But it's, I, I'm so interested in getting this policy in front of everybody because public health is the, it's the table, it's the chairs around the table. Public health is everything about that. So 
I, I thank you so much for all the time you've given me today and your willingness to be on hold in case I need somebody uh, last minute like you were last week. So thank you for being on Ask a Leader once again. I hope you'll come back and give us more scoop. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thanks so much, Claudia. My guest was Ayn Creason, an Orange County policy advocate with the Climate Action, as the Irvine City Council considers, did already consider, but Fullerton will be considering it tonight. And watch, so fine print, folks, Keep if you can watch that. I just want to quickly announce the West Coast premiere of In the Green by playwright Grace McLean. It's going to open at the Wayward Artist starting April 14th and continues through April 30th at the Grand Central Arts Center in Santa Ana, directed by Anna Miles. We'll try to get Craig Tyrrell on later this month to chat us up about this production. So that's my wrap. I'm going to uh, go out with the tune that Anne Calloway, who wasn't able to get on last week, that she has. It's going to be the song for the moment. So um, please, thoughts and prayers from Anne Calloway. Stay tuned. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Enough. They call it the price of freedom, but it's just the freedom to kill. And if guns don't kill their families, they're probably.